we're starting a new series today. Oh, that, that, that was good from a couple of people. We're starting a new series today. And we're gonna, I've called it Ignite. And this, is, this actually comes from a conversation I had with Stu Allen a number of weeks ago, which is just about like blowing on those embers uh, that, that are maybe, you know, they're still hot, but they, they could be hotter. They could be, they could be more on fire. For Jesus, and, and so this series that we're doing is, is we're going to address some of the basics of our faith. So, who's Jesus? <laughs> you know, why should we love Jesus? You know, all that kind of stuff. Or what about His Word, the Bible, the Word of God? You know, can we get passionate about that like, once again, or even more passionate than we are already? Can we can we head to another level? I was going to do a little video thing of rocket ships going up and kind of you know just just doing their thing, and that's what I want us to think of. I, want us, I might do it next week. I want us to think about kind of do something igniting. Underneath, just exploding. Okay, so so prayer is the one I'm going to start with this week because prayer is it, it underpins everything. It absolutely underpins everything, and we need a prayerful, a prayerful life. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do, however, is just explain something to you. On my birthday a few weeks ago. I got given a sweetie box. They're amazing. You can order them from Amazon. And it had all those kind of old sweets in them, like fruit salads and licorice stuff and, 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 and bubble gum. Remember bubble gum? It used to be like a penny. It used to be half a penny. Do you remember half a penny? Don't, I, I know some of you all remember before that. Half a penny. And then it went up to a penny and then two pence and I was shot. No more was I buying a bubble gum. It was just too expensive. And I had cola bottles in and all that kind of stuff. But it also had in one of these, a double dip. There's nothing spiritual about this. What I'm going to say to you is, and this is going spare because I can't, and my three kids want it, but I can't give it to them. So, because that'll just cause fine. So, who wants it? Who wants it? Who's the double dip? There you go, Pete. Fantastic. Be blessed. Enjoy. Right. That's it. There's no, there's no spiritual message in that. I just wanted to give away my double dip. I've been sat on my microwave thinking, what can I do with that? I love your wallet. Are you going to pay? I love your wallet. It's my wallet. No. Um, Okay, let's get our Bibles out. Come on, get your Bibles out, guys. You've brought them with you. It's church, so that's what you do every week, isn't it? Yeah. And you spark put your Bible apps, don't you? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Okay, we're not going to read it just yet. So we can get them out and put them on your lap. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you that we can come together and we can, we can worship you, Father, but we can hear what you have to say through your word, Father God. We treasure it. We treasure what you've given to us. And by your spirit, Father, let us let, let, let the, your word help us in every day and what we do. And let it help us this morning, Father, understand more of what it is when we're talking about prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. All right, look, I suggest that for a lot of us, a lot of the time, almost all of our prayers begin by rushing into a series of requests. Who, 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 kind of, who, can, who can go with that? Sometimes we, we fall into that, you know, can I, you know, I need this, I need help with this, and all kinds of stuff. Well, I do that. Um, and, and we often as well, you know, pour out our irritations to God, or maybe some issues that we've got, some problems, that, and then we go, oh yeah, sorry, and thank you, Lord, for the day, you know, or something like that. And we tend to do it that way around. And, and if we do do that, and I hold my hand up and say I do that occasionally, the issue is this, is that it tends to reinforce the focus of our attention on what's bothering us, and the feeling of uselessness of being able to do anything about it. That's what it does when, when we just focus on, on the issues and the problems. And maybe sometimes this is why we can feel even more depressed and frustrated after we pray uh, than before. And then we don't feel like praying again, sometimes. Or maybe even worse, maybe worse, maybe we engage with prayer more desperately. Maybe we go at it even, even more passionately and desperately, thinking weirdly that we haven't been heard the first time. 
but strangely now, we don't really expect the prayer to be answered. I don't know if you can, if you can, you can go with that or see where, I, see where I'm going with that, but, but prayer can be a wonderful and weird thing when we start kind of having, focusing it on ourselves. And if we look in the Bible to those things that you've got in front of you, you sparked upon your Bible app, only Pete, because Pete's allowed to eat his double dip. Okay, so Pete can listen to, to the verses I say. We look in the Bible, we see a bunch of folks who spent loads of time with Jesus, don't we? And we find that they've only just begun to understand what it is to pray. And these, these folks I'm talking about, they're the disciples of Jesus. And in Luke 11, verse 1, they ask Jesus this question. Lord, teach us how to pray. Or teach us to pray. And for once, without any parables or without any questions, with a question, Jesus actually answers it quite directly. He says, when you pray, pray like this. That's good of Jesus to do that, isn't it? Because most of the time he answers with a question or with a parable or something like that. But actually he said, when you pray, pray like this. Now I say again that these disciples seem to wait a long time to ask Jesus uh, how to teach them how to pray. They've been with him for months. They, they could have been with him for years, actually. They've watched him praying in every circumstance of life. They've seen him taking time to be alone to pray. And they understand that Jesus lived a life guarded and empowered by prayer. Perhaps they watched him pray because uh, and it's caused them to think on and realise actually how much, how little, sorry, they know about prayer. And whatever it is, the disciples, they turn to Jesus and they ask at this point, Lord, teach us how to pray. So let's read it. Let's read Luke, uh, turn to chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 1 to 4. So Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. So... Let me hear the rustling of papers, the sparking up of Bible apps and things like that. And I'm going to read it. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So if you've got a Bible app, you can always change your translation to that. Okay. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'm sure most of us know that, that prayer. Who knows the prayer? Who knows? Stick it in. Okay, it's what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And as a kid in junior school, um, I, I remember being taught this prayer, uh, and I was pretty chuffed that I managed to remember all of it. I was very proud of myself. Did I know what I was praying? No. <laughs> did I give it much thought? Not really. Um, but it's just something that we did. We just did it in assembly uh, most of the time. But you know, it was, it, was, it was a bit ritualistic, actually. And I think that's the first problem. That because this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, shouldn't be recited without any thought to what's being said. We, we, we probably know it so well that actually we, we don't give it much thought to what we're actually praying. Because this prayer is powerful, but simple. It's easy to remember, but in essence, it's profound. It is actually an amazing blueprint to follow in our own prayer life. Can I have some agreements and some, some thank you and some smiles? That's amazing. 
Now I want to take a moment now to read the parallel account in Matthew 6. I turn to Matthew 6, and it's from verse 9 to Matthew 6, verse 9. And Matthew and Luke are part of the four Gospels at the start of the New Testament, which give eyewitness accounts of the birth, life, death, and resurrection, which is the coming back to life of Jesus. So, I'm going to drink some of this lovely water. So when he found it, we're going to read this. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is probably, that's probably the version that you most recognize from uh, praying at school. The Lord's Prayer was given to show the disciples then how to pray. Because it is what they asked for at the end of the day. Jesus gives them a strong indication of how they should go about praying, not just the words they should use. Because let's recognize that there is a difference between saying the Lord's Prayer and praying the Lord's Prayer. The difference between saying the Lord's Prayer and praying the Lord's Prayer. A difference between learning it by heart at school and actually trying to live it out what it says. In a book uh, by a guy called Elmer Town, it's the book's called The Elements for the Lord's Blueprint for Prayer, if you want to look it up, he writes this. The effective prayer is not measured about how loud you pray, how long you pray, or even if you say the words of the Lord's Prayer again and again in some kind of repetitious fashion. Your prayer life will be effective if you are sincere and if you ask for the right things. So I want to look at the Lord's Prayer in more detail. And I want to look at those four English words that we find in both versions, in Luke and in Matthew. Our Father in Heaven. So right from the off, Jesus is stressing the importance of seeing God as our Father. What Jesus is teaching here, and I tell you what, it's pretty revolutionary for the time, for the culture in which he's saying it. Because the original word that Jesus used for Father was not a formal word, it's, just, it's a common Aramaic word, and Aramaic was the local language of the time, in which a child would address his, his, his natural father. The word is Abba, I'm sure some of you have heard of it. Everyone used the word Abba when they were talking about their father, um, but no one, under any circumstances, used it in reference to God. I was a big no-no. But Jesus used it. Now, Abba meant something like Daddy. Um, in a, a number of circles, a number of Christian circles these days, you hear a lot of people going, oh, Daddy God, oh, Abba Father. Um, but actually, even though it, it, it was that in, an intimate thing, an intimate word, it actually had a bit more reverence to it. It probably meant something a little bit more like dearest father. Which immediately adds something to it, doesn't it? Dearest father. See, no one in history ever prayed like this. They really hadn't. Jesus transformed uh, the relationship with, with God of one that was distant and, and, and unapproachable to one of an intimate relationship with a father. The fact that God is our dearest father is really important in prayer. Paul, who's a, a, an important fella who wrote most of the New Testament letters, 
tells us in, in a book, Galatians, Galatians, from verse in, in chapter 4, verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Wrapped up in this expression of, of, of our Father is a new dimension of intimate communication with God. And, and this same intimacy and relationship, when it's healthy, exists between a child and their father. And this same intimacy that now exists between us and God. But I've got to say this, I hinted there with my use of the word, to, the word healthy relationship. Maybe some of us have been struggling in understanding and feeling this intimacy because you didn't have or you don't have a good role model uh, in your earthly father. And look, for those who know me, I can certainly relate to that. Having a dad that ultimately has rejected me as a son. So maybe like me, your father was or is angry. Maybe he's unapproachable or abusive. Again, I can, I can relate to that. The thing that has helped me is thinking of God as being everything I could wish for in a father. Yeah. So I haven't focused in on my, my, my earthly relationship and applied that to my relationship with God. No, 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 no. I think of God as being everything that I could wish for in a father. And as a dad... Myself, I, I try to be that kind of dad to my kids. And I'll admit here and now that I don't always live up to my own vision of this kind of wonderful dad, but I can assure you that these same failings don't apply to God. God can become for you the fulfillment of your dream for an honourable and decent father who loves you unconditionally and in whom you trust unconditionally. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In my life as a dad, my understanding of God has played out in loads of ways through my kids' interaction with me. And let me tell you this. Um, we have stairs in our house because they go up to the top and there's like a mini landing, a mini square, and then there's two or three steps that go off to the left. And a number of months ago, Nathaniel discovered this. He heard me walking up the stairs. And as I turned, just turned the corner on the landing, he was right there, one, two, three steps. And he launched himself at me. I mean, I just did, and I, and I grabbed him, I grabbed him. He thought it was hilarious, I was scared. He thought it was hilarious, I just managed to hold on to him. Now three steps, it's not much to us, but to a kid who's like this high, three steps is like, you know, it's a mountain. And he trusted me so unconditionally he trusted me that I would catch him no matter what. And now, I've got to be careful. <laughs> because if he hears me going upstairs, I've got to now expect him to be on those top three steps. And he will just leap off into my arms. No, I'll, not, I'll jump and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll land on my feet. No, 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 no. If, if, I, if I don't catch him, he's, he's down. Unconditional trust in me as a father. Amazing. And that's the kind of relationship that we can have, or we, we have, as our relationship with our Father God. It needs to be remembered that it's impossible to come to God as our Father unless we're born into His family through faith in Jesus Christ. This prayer is based on a relationship 
with God through faith in Christ and it can only be uttered by those who are in the family. Even when we're alone, we pray, our Father. So even in those moments of solitude, we recognize that through this prayer, we're not alone. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves, our Father. And when we pray that, we begin to pray based on a, an intimate relationship with God, that of a father and a child. I want to tell you now that God isn't an angry judge. He's not looking for an opportunity to condemn us. He isn't too, too distant or too busy to hear you. He is our Father. Our Father. And therefore he can be approached on a real intimate basis. Now the Lord's Prayer contains what are called petitions. And it contains seven petitions. Now, that's seven ways in which we can, we can reach out to God with specific kind of requests and, and specific truths. So when you pray, hallowed be your name, or hallowed be thy name, as I learned it at school, you're climbing to a new level of respect for God, a new, a new kind of reverence for Him. You're tunneling through right to the heart of God, and you're recognizing who He is and what He's done for us. When Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name, He was telling us to make the presence of God real in our hearts. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you're placing God at the very center of your heart. It's putting God on the throne of our lives, just as he sits on the throne in heaven, as he says in the Bible. Now this all sounds good, doesn't it? It really does. But exactly how do we hallow his name? How do we hallow his name? Oh, we hallow his name with what we say not just in prayer, both privately and publicly, but also by our actions. To pray that his name is hallowed means that first and foremost we desire our lives to reveal to others Jesus and the character of God. That's what we're asking. That's what we're saying we're going to do when we pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now what Jesus mean when he told us to pray for the kingdom to come. So when we pray your kingdom come, the use of the word come can refer to a decisive time in the future when the kingdom, that's God's rule and reign, will come once and for all. You're asking for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom on this earth. And as believers, we're all looking forward to this, or at least we should be, we should all be looking forward to this climax of history when God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we genuinely desire God's rule over all men and women at a future time, then it also makes sense that you want to work out His will in your life right now. So when you pray, your kingdom come, we're acknowledging God's right to rule all people, including us. We really shouldn't pray for his rule over others unless we honestly desire his rule over us. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever to pray your kingdom come unless we fully intend to cooperate with the establishment of his rule in our own lives. What follows is, is the more fully we submit 
to God's loving rule and reign in our own lives, the more effectively God will be able to use us in manifesting his kingdom here on earth. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now it's, like, it's probably true that millions of folks have, have repeated the words, your will be done, down the centuries without the faintest notion of what God's will actually is. As I said earlier, as a kid, I did. <laughs> your will be done, I had no idea what I was saying. Because I was saying it and not praying. The thing that's more alarming is that possibly more people have repeated these words without any intention of seeing to it that the Father's will is done. When you ask, your will be done, you must be willing to do it. I'm going to say that again because that's really important. When you ask for his, for his will to be done in your lives, you must be willing to do it. And not at some point in a vague point in history in the future of your life. You must be willing to do it right now. Right now. Because notice you're not asking God to change his will or to bless your will. You're asking him to help you find and then do his will in your life. That's quite, that's quite a powerful thing to ask, isn't it? That's quite a strong statement to make. Because all of a sudden it's not about you, it's all about him. But it's not just enough to know the will of God, we've got to apply it. Because your will be done, in reality, is a prayer of submission. According to the book of Romans, in the New Testament, it's our privilege to submit to that the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Romans 12 verse 2, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The truth is, this is the truth, the truth is that the cause of most unrest, frustration, unhappiness and sense of powerlessness in the life of a Christian can probably be traced back to trying to follow our own self-will. At the back of most of our failure, not all of it, but most of our failure, is the desire to have it my way and not his way. It's basically a will that said no. So we've seen these first three petitions, okay? These truths and these requests uh, and what they have to do with God. Now the second four petitions have to do with human well-being and they're distinguished by these words. Us, givers, forgivers, keepers, leaders. In the last half of the prayer, we're turning from praying for God's glory to praying for our needs. Now at last, <laughs> you might say, wow, at last. Well, if you do, if you do think that, I want to guide you to back to the beginning of the prayer and then, and then rinse and repeat until you've understood it. Because it's not about you, it's about him first and foremost. So if you think at last I can pray about myself and my needs, go back to the beginning and pray it again until you really understand it and really get it. And then you can move forward with Jesus who should be the real focus of your life. One of the profound realities of the Christian life is the realisation that God really cares about the simple day-to-day -day needs of our lives. Isn't that amazing? It's an outstanding thought, really, isn't it? That, that God cares whether we're warm, whether we're fed, whether they're housed. He's concerned for our whole well-being because one of the next lines says, 
Give us this day our daily bread. And what does that line mean? Well, what does it mean? It's, it, we miss, I think, its importance for the simple fact that when you all woke up this morning, I'm betting that a lot of you, and I really hope all of you actually, didn't have the slightest concern whether you'd be able to eat today. Most of the major concerns for us is what will we eat, not whether we will eat. For most of us, and like I say, I hope for all of us. We're told to pray. Give us day by day our daily bread. To remind us of our absolute dependence on God for everything. God made us with needs so that we'd have to look to him to supply it. In this prayer for daily bread, bread stands for more than just food. It stands for all the physical things that we need in life. To pray this prayer for our daily bread expresses our conviction and our belief that God is able to answer our prayer and to meet our needs. There's a thought. It's not that we are praying to overcome God's unwillingness or overcome his reluctance, seeking to bend his will to ours, but actually it's taking hold of God's willingness to give. Yesterday's strength is absolutely useless to fight today's battles. Yesterday's strength is absolutely useless to fight today's battles. And sometimes as Christians we can rely on our experiences of God in the past. And of course they were good and helpful, but we need a fresh touch of God in our lives every day. God never gives us a reservoir of grace in our lives, but actually expects us to turn to him every day for the grace sufficient to meet the challenges of that day. It's a stream of love, if you like. That's, that's flowing towards us, and that we need to we need to get down on our hands and knees, and we need to scoop it up and drink. And drink in His love, drink in His grace. Because yesterday's blessings may have helped you on your journey, and you can certainly build on that. But today, today will have its fresh set of challenges to overcome and decisions to make. The phrase, this day, reminds us that as believers we need a daily renewal of our spiritual strength. We can often get stressed out with anxiety because we try and face the problems of tomorrow, today. So it works that way as well. But Jesus had something to say about this, so I'm going to read it to you. He gave it in a great speech, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, it's in Matthew 6, from verse 31, if you want to follow. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. But for your heavenly Father knows all you need, uh, knows, knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we worry about tomorrow, now, there's wisdom and there's care, but worry is something that's in a different beast entirely. 
when we worry about tomorrow, we're effectively telling our Heavenly Father that we're not quite sure that He can provide tomorrow's bread. That's what we're saying when we worry too much about the day coming. We're saying, I'm not absolutely convinced that you can bring me my daily bread. The invitation to pray, give us day by day our daily bread, is an invitation to come to God with even those things that others or yourself might even consider small. Don't just think to bring the big things to God. But even bring those ordinary requests. Pray for a coat. Pray for a dip-dap. Pray for shoes, a holiday, a bicycle, whatever. But, but even in all that desire for the small stuff of life together with the bigger stuff, let's remember that the ultimate bread, the ultimate desire for our lives, is Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to say that again, because that needs to have a bit more of a response as Christians in a room. You know, Jesus is the ultimate desire. He is everything that we need. The only bread that will satisfy completely and forever is the provision of the Lord Jesus himself. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Wow. Forgive us our sins. This petition is not only an explicit prayer for forgiveness, forgive us our sins, but also, I think, for a forgiving spirit. For we also ask everyone, we also ask forgiveness for everyone who is indebted to us. The first three petitions relate to the role of God as our Father. The last four focus on our needs as God's children. And in this model prayer, after we've asked God for provision, now we seek for his pardon. Forgive follows give. Look back at the beginning of verse 4, if you're still going to open and underline the word and, because it links the request for daily bread with the request for daily forgiveness. In that way, when we think of our need for food, we'll think of our need for forgiveness. Many of us are conscious of our need for daily bread, but we're utterly unconscious of our need for daily forgiveness. If we are sincere when we pray, forgive us our sins, then we're openly, openly admitting ourselves as guilty of wrongdoing, dishonest behavior, and sin. And I want to come back and just stress, this is Jesus telling his disciples how to pray. So therefore, us, there are things that, unless you are super, like, amazing, there'll be things you do every day in your life which you know you need to keep a short account to God with. Whether that's, you know, having a bit of a potty mouth, whether that's saying the wrong thing to your kids, whether that's having the wrong thought about somebody who's just cut you up in the cut. There are loads of things that we need to come back to God for and keep a short count of. And he says, forgive us our sins. I think most folks falsely presume that because we're saved, that when when we enter into a relationship with Jesus and we're given control of our lives, we no longer need to ask for forgiveness. Or confess our sins. And you know what? This isn't the case. If you're going back to the word of God and believing what it says, 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9 tells us, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the Bible. telling you that if you say you've got no sin... You're deceiving yourself. 
when the word helps. Because you all looked at me there with a mm, 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 mark. Sorry about that. Everything I preach is from the Bible. It's good. Okay, the bottom and honest line is that Christians can and still do sin. They do still do bad stuff. And therefore, we need to stand in daily confession and forgiveness. So this is, I said earlier, this is a family prayer. I said that when we pray, we pray our Father. So that implies there are more kids, <laughs> doesn't it? You know? And it doesn't deal with the sins and the wrongdoings of unbelievers. It doesn't deal with our standing before God either, which I think is established in salvation. I don't think it can be affected. I think once you're born again, you can't go back into your mother's womb, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, once you're born, you're born. There are just things you need to work out and sort out. This prayer concerns the sins of the children of God, which get in the way of our relationship with our Father. No non-Christian ever receives forgiveness from God on the basis of claiming to forgive someone else. Although we receive forgiveness when we're saved, we'll never be able to fully enjoy our Christian walk unless we're ready to extend it freely to those who offend us. True believers are forgiven and forgiving. That doesn't mean that forgiveness ever comes easily or naturally, even to believers. And I think it is a battle to maintain that forgiving spirit. But we've got God to come back to and, and talk to and rely on and, and to help. Because I think the struggle to forgive is, is in itself evidence of God's grace in a person's heart. Because otherwise you just give into bitterness. The fact that you know you need to forgive, I think, is evidence that the Spirit is there yeah. talking to you, helping you yeah. with grace and mercy. The warning here that is for us who claim to be Christians, but who won't forgive and absolutely have no desire to do so. And some might say, I can't forgive. The question is, is it really I, I can't or is it I won't? Jesus didn't tell his disciples they could pray, Lord, forgive me my trespasses, and I will try my best to forgive those who have wronged me. He didn't say that. He told them that when they had forgiven others, they could then claim their own forgiveness. Is it possible then that right here, we're touching upon one of the, the principal causes of unanswered prayer? Is it possible that anyone would truly rather have his own prayers unanswered for the human satisfaction of hating someone and holding on to a grudge against someone who has offended them? Let me put that question out there. Because when we don't forgive, we set up a, a roadblock for our lives. We set up a roadblock for our lives. And do not lead us into temptation. When we read forgive our sins, the request that sins already committed might be forgiven. But here we have a plea to be delivered from falling into new sins. The petition in the prayer is primarily, and I love what you said earlier, it's primarily for protection. By teaching us to pray for God not to lead us into temptation, he isn't suggesting that God is the one who tempts us. In James 1 verse 13 in the New Testament, James says that God does not tempt anyone. Instead, this line accepts the danger of temptation and acknowledges our deficiency and our struggle in dealing with it and then asks for deliverance from it. And there's something of real importance here. If we're to win the battle against temptation, 
we must fully uh, realise and accept the reality of spiritual warfare. We've got to, let, let's not modern culture try and airbrush this out of our Christian walk. It's all about good social work. It's all about connecting with people. It's all about having friends and family with whom we can evangelise through gentle uh, uh, um, um, sharing of the gospel message and what we do and what we say. There's an absolute reality of spiritual warfare that goes on for each and every believer. And the target on your back gets bigger and bigger or smaller depending on how much you're willing to reach out and to walk in, in the faith and goodness that God has given you. We can't be victorious over stuff that we don't understand. Being ignorant of the fact that there is a great spiritual battle being fought in our world doesn't erase the fact that it's true. Just like the fact that if you don't accept God, doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Because he exists and he loves you, whether you believe him in him or not. But in the same weird way, it doesn't erase the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on, even if you choose to ignore it. So we need to acknowledge our inability to handle temptation on our own. We need to remember everyone, everyone is vulnerable to temptation. No one is above falling, no matter how old we are, or how mature in the faith we are. And we've seen that, unfortunately, over the past number of years of, of high-profile Christian leaders falling from grace. I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but I'm sure you can think of those. And they just needed good people around them to help them, I would suggest. When we pray for God's protection from temptation, we're agreeing with another prayer of Jesus. And he prayed, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. The second part of the prayer for God's protection is found in the request, deliver us. From the evil one. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible translates this as deliver us from evil. And that's certainly the, the one that I learned at school. But the New King James Version, the New International Version and other translations publish it as deliver us from the evil one. Who is the evil one? The evil one isn't some random concept out there. It's Satan, the fallen angel. The Bible refers to him as the prince of the power of the air. So when you use the phrase deliver us from the evil, when you're admitting that life is a struggle and, and there is a genuine enemy that opposes us. But because we don't know what dangers we'll face each day, we need God's protection to cover us. So when you pray, deliver us from the evil one, you're turning your protection over to God. And although Satan may be the ruler of this present world, and he may be the prince of the power of the air, as the Bible says, and he may have a multitude of evil spirits at his command, he has no claim over the children of God. He has no claim over you or me. Although he can certainly influence and he can certainly tempt. But you have the protection of the almighty God. Now that is cool. So let me end this morning by stressing this. It's really simple. This is the lesson, maybe the one thing, if you can take away one thing away, it's this. To really learn about prayer, you must pray. <laughs> to really learn about prayer, you must pray. It's quite simple. Jesus gave us this blueprint for prayer. Because they said, teach us how to pray, not what to pray. Teach us how to pray. That's the underlying thing here. It's a blueprint for our prayer life. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge each and every one of you to use it in that way. So take down these points if you can, guys. 
Begin by praying, our Father in heaven. So focus on what it means to talk to the God of the universe as Father. I don't want to stress that. He is the God of the universe. And through Jesus, we can approach him as dearest Father. Again, that's pretty cool. Isn't it? That's amazing. And then pray about his priorities. So I'm asking you to take notes. You want to learn how to pray. Pray about then about his priorities because the next line is your kingdom come. Then pray about his purposes. What does he want to do? Because that line says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then and only then ask for his provision. It says give us this day our daily bread. Then ask for his forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then ask for his protection. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so I'm going to repeat that. So begin by acknowledging him as Father. Then pray about his priorities. What does he want? His purposes. Then ask him for provision. Then ask him for forgiveness. And ask him for protection. Now I want to pray together one more time. And I'm going to pray the version that I learned at school. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.